Amen. <clears throat> okay, so Gospel of John chapter 4 and from verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptised more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptised not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So Jesus left Judea because he knew that the Pharisees had heard about the great work that he was doing. Okay? So at this point the persecution is already starting, yeah? Okay, you can see why he's left there. He's left because he, he knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptised more disciples than John. Now, if Jesus and his disciples weren't getting people saved, they weren't creating more disciples, would the Pharisees have cared so much about what was being preached? They wouldn't have cared, would they? They wouldn't have cared what he was preaching if it wasn't for the making the disciples, was it? Okay. And getting, obviously, people baptised as well. And, and the reason I say this is because that's the same with churches like ours, isn't it? That's the truth. That's the same with the churches like ours around the world. It's, it's not just the so-called Jews that hate us, okay? It's not just the, you know, the, the persecutors of, like we see in the book of Acts and, and as we go on to carry on seeing in our life. But it's not just that because it's also not just the work salvationist Christians, is it? So-called Christians, the work salvationist lot that are just so angry that we preach what the Bible says about salvation, because it's not just them. And by the way, they do hate us, okay? <laughs> they do, they do. I, I had a comment come up the other day on, a, on one of our New Believer videos about what makes a good church. And, you know, they just reveal their hands straight away. You're not teaching what the King James Bible says about repentance. You know, and, you, and, and I was thinking, I'm going to deal with this guy in a minute. And then, it, it, God, I think maybe Pastor Thompson just blocked him. But um, maybe, maybe he's wiser than me, because I was thinking, well, I'm going to give this guy dressing down. But, but um, yeah, I mean, these guys, it, it's like, if you really cared, yeah, you really cared, why are you spending your time trawling our websites? Like, how many cults and, and just joke versions of Christianity are there in this country? Yet you're going to come and find us and look on off and start trying to make comments, trying to prove that you've got to turn from your evil way. I mean, how easily debunked is that as well? Just ridiculous, isn't it? Um, but it's not just them, is it? Um, but it is amazing, is it, when someone claims to be a Christian? They claim to be a Christian when you knock on their door and then the anger that you're trying to tell them the gospel, the anger when they've just showed that they're not saved as well. It's, it's just it's ridiculous, isn't it? But it's not just these, is it? Because there are saved Baptists, saved Baptist Christians so-called Bible-believing Christians with the right gospel that hate us, okay? And, and you know what? There, there are a lot of them around as well. And I'm not saying they, you know, the Pharisees here clearly are unsaved, aren't they? But in the same way, the truth is the reason they hate us is because we make and, and baptise, and we will be baptising here, but regardless, we're making more disciples, we're getting more people saved. And that's the truth, isn't it? That's the truth. That's why they hate us. See, they claim, don't they, it's our biblical stance on the Sodomites. They claim that because we preach and believe what the Bible says about the Sodomites, that's what they're angry about. Oh, I can't believe you would say that anyone can't be saved and they, all that nonsense like till their dying breath and everyone's got a chance and everything else. But let's be honest, how does that even affect them? How does it affect them what we preach every now and again in a sermon when we're going out and knocking doors and trying to preach the gospel to everyone and we're not doing a tick box, are we, before, on whether or not that person's a sodomite or not when we're trying to preach them the gospel. Okay, but they claim it's maybe that, or, or our, our disgraceful rejection of the pre-trib fraud. 
don't they? Like that, that's their hill to die on, isn't it? So these guys around this country, these old IFB pastors, they are absolutely incensed that you could dare to suggest that the pre-tribulation rapture is a fraud. And, and for them, that's what they're really angry about. Again, how does that even affect them? How does it affect them at all? It doesn't, but they pretend. So they're trying to find things, aren't they, to be angry about. Our refusal to join their racist diatribe on those special white converts to Judaism. Yeah, our refusal to join in with that, with the old white converts and how they're actually some sort of special people genetically having converted to Judaism at some point in the last however many centuries. Uh, again, absolutely ridiculous, but they're so angry about it, aren't they? I mean, is anyone watched any of those videos recently on uh, the, the Pastor Anderson Exposed ones? And these guys, we've got one of our, one of our local pastors uh, not, not too far from here as well, who features on it as well, makes a guest appearance. And uh, we'll talk about that afterwards. But um, yeah, so there's a few, few of these guys and, and basically they're, they're, they're attacking him. And what's their main gripe? Their main gripe is the Jews, yeah. isn't it? That's their mate, you know, how, what, I mean, yeah, yeah, okay, a lot of people we know have been, have been saved by him. Yeah, we've got people coming into our church saying they got saved through one of his videos, but, but, you know, it's disgraceful how this guy's an anti-Semite and the rest of it. It's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. But, but they claim, they, they, they're so dishonest because they're pretending this is what they're really angry about. They're just, you know, pretending that all these issues, but what is it really? It's the soul winning. It's the soul winning and the disciples. It's the people getting saved. That's what they're angry about. That's what they hate. That's what they find fault about. Now, some will try to criticise the soul winning. A few will try and do that. You know, one, two, three, repeat after me. And a lot of the time, it's just work salvationists who are just trying to say, well, you can't obviously be saved by just believing, you know, and just, and just calling, calling on the name of the Lord. But there's a few that will try and criticise that. Well, you know, are they really saved or anything else? And but, but they, they never really give you an example because if you hear them giving their so-called gospel presentations in the churches, which they do, a lot of these churches will give every single week, week in, week out, they do, they're basically giving it very similar to how we do anyway. Probably not nowhere near as thorough, actually. In fact, they're usually just talking about belief and it's, you know, grace through faith and everything else and they don't really, really, you know, go into the, the, the conviction of sin and other things. But regardless, they're not doing anything, oh, well, they're really spending a lot longer on it, are they? And they're expecting people to get saved, to come up to the altar afterwards and, and, and the rest of it. So they can claim that, but they will find something to blame, won't they? So they try and find something to blame, oh, we're so unloving, apparently. We're all so unloving because we don't preach just on the love of God and we actually preach on sin. Because we actually talk about, about other parts of the Bible other than 1 Corinthians 13 and a few other bits, you know, and, and, and the gospel. Um, but for churches that, that claim to love the gospel so much that they preach it every single service, because a lot of them do, don't they? It's amazing, isn't it? how they don't focus on the false gospel preaching churches because I've been around these churches and and they'll say things like oh well you know there's some good people amongst the charismatics and you know and we don't want to just write them off and you know and these people are okay and well we don't want to mention this particular church but some people they're in a bit of a muddle with the tongues and other things but you know they're good it's like what are you talking about every single one you talk to they're unsaved it's rare, isn't it, that you find one of those that's saved. So they claim to love the gospel, don't they? They preach the gospel, but they don't seem to care about the false gospels. They care more about Zionism, um, you know, the, the pre-trib fraud, the sodomite agenda and everything else, don't they? Now, you might think, yeah, well, but we're not creating any disciples, are we? Well, says who? 
Says who? Because you can't compare us to the false megachurch, okay? Because there's no one saved in there at all. So someone who's going, I don't care if they're going, you know, to every service and, and everything else. They're not a disciple if they're not saved, for starters, okay? Um, but what about, you know, the Pentecostal party? You might find the odd saved person amongst, amongst the thousands. But again, they're not disciples. They're going there for a party, aren't they? Um, what about the busy, trendy evangelical church? Well, you know, they're busy. Some of those guys are saved, it seems. Some of them believe in grace through faith. Um, or, or maybe that long-established old IFB church. You know, they seem to get some numbers, some of these places. Maybe not many in this country. I don't know if we've got really many busy churches in this country. But, but maybe there are. Maybe there are a few. And you'd think, well, aren't they making disciples? Aren't they? Why would they be jealous? Because, in my opinion, they're not disciples. So... Aside from believing the Bible and wanting to live for Christ, which you would say are surely two of the must, aren't they, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, wouldn't you say that the Great Commission is the bare minimum? It's the bare minimum, isn't it? To be a di- How are you a disciple of Christ if, you're, if you've never gone out and at least helped someone else share the gospel? Okay, I don't see you as a disciple. So... I mean, the disciples got sent out two by two, didn't they? The 70 got sent out two by two. So it doesn't matter how long you've been praying for Israel, how many services you've prayed for Israel, five times a service, how long you've been waiting to be raptured at any minute, <laughs> how long you've been telling everyone how loving you are, because they love telling, them, telling everyone that, don't they? I used to have a pastor, that's all he ever used to go on about, is how much love he has for everyone, how much, but yet he can't preach on sin how loving you are, if you're not soul winning or wanting to learn to soul win, then you're not a disciple. You're not a disciple, are you? How are you a disciple of Jesus Christ if you're never, ever going out and preaching the gospel or trying to preach the gospel or learning to preach the gospel or at least supporting someone when they're preaching the gospel? So these guys ain't disciples. So in fact, yes, we are. Even, even a church which, yeah, we, it's not that we're, we're putting on a party and people are just rocking up like Hillsong. Hillsong's a busy one. There you go. There's not a disciple, in, there's not a disciple there, is there? No such thing. But here we are, aren't we? And even if, even if once a year you had a couple of people that wanted to read their Bible and go out and preach the gospel, that's a couple more disciples than pretty much any church in the country, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the truth, isn't it? And so we are. We are making more. Even if we only get a few people baptised when Pastor Thompson gets here and maybe once a year after that, we are still baptising and making more disciples than any, any of the churches I've seen in this country. For sure. And that's the problem. That's the truth, is it? Because they see people. They see people at our churches. They see them zealous for God. They see them wanting to read their Bible. They see them wanting to live for God. They see them wanting to go out and preach the gospel. They see them bold enough to make stands on the word of God. And they hate us for it. And that's the truth. That's what they hate. They hate it. They're jealous. It's envy. And that's the truth. Um, And if you... You, you claim to be a Bible-believing Christian, because they do, don't they? These guys claim to be Bible-believing Christians. How come your main ministry is often attacking soul-winning Christians? Because that's pretty much, it's either that or the pre-trib fraud, isn't it? And, and the Jews. And that, that's their kind of their main angle. That's their, their thing, you know. They, they, you know, constantly preach against people like Pastor Anderson. What's their problem? Uh, yet, in the same breath, admitting that, that people such as himself and like-minded churches are getting loads of people saved. Wow, amazing, isn't it? Amazing. Trying to prove their pre-trib rapture lie. Praying and raising money for Israel. That's like their main ministries, isn't it? Oh, I've got to keep praying for Israel. I've got to keep sending money out there. I've got a missionary out there. He nearly got someone saved last year. 
You know, keep praying. We could nearly get one of our special chosen Jews saved. It's ridiculous. Absolutely. Whilst, whilst bad-mouthing churches like ours who are going out week, week after week, knocking doors and preaching the gospel. Unbelievable. Trying to discredit the KJV as well. How many of them do that? Claim to be King James Bible churches and then they spend the services, and I've been there with them, trying to tell us what mistakes the King James Bible translators made. These guys that have done one term or two terms of Greek, you can't... You know, and we've all heard the joke, didn't they? They can't even order a, a meal in Greek, can they? Yet they're somehow correcting the King James Bible translators. And again, that seems to be a big part of their ministry, but not knocking doors. Unbelievable. They're no different to the Pharisees. They're hypocrites. Yeah. That's what they are. They're hypocrites. Generation of vipers. They are. They're a generation of vipers, these people. And, I, and you know, and, and the ones that are saved, they should be ashamed of themselves. They should be absolutely ashamed. Those ones that want to sit here and, and, and they'll, watch, they'll watch our stuff and come on and criticise and send moody messages. A lot of the time they either delete or get deleted and, and they're, they're trying to stalk us and stuff. Just absolute weirdos. I mean, you absolute weirdos. If you're stalking us and you're listening to the fact that we're going out, and I'm not trying to say, oh, we're so great, but we're going out and we're preaching the gospel and we're, we're up to nearly 600 salvations in less, in less than what? What is it? Less than seven months out of this church and you've got nothing better to do than to stalk us and send us rude messages to us and members of our churches. You're a disgrace yeah, if right. you're saved. If you're saved and not a reprobate stalker. Yeah. you absolute disgrace. Amen. Like, what are you trying to do? Stop the work of God being done. Because that's what, like the Pharisees, they're trying to stop the work of God being done. We had that idiot that we kicked out of here the other week. He's been ringing people and messaging them again. Trying to tell them to leave the cult and everything else. Oh, because he's just so worried about them. Oh, well, don't come running to me. Oh, what are you talking about? Go, oh, oh, you might feel unsafe. Unsafe? What are you talking about? You absolute losers. You spend your time watching our sermons and ringing up our church members. Yet you claim to be a saved man of God. What, you want to stop the work being done here? Because who else is going out and getting people saved in this country? Well, preaching the gospel every week behind the pulpit. It's not happening. Absolute disgrace. But look, instead of trying to chase people out of town, yeah, how about, how about these people just trying to, maybe just pray for us? How about that? You don't want to come here, you don't want to get involved, how about you just pray for us? Pray for people to get saved. Pray for us to carry on and be bold enough and not be put off by the scumbags that are stalking us. The scumbags that are constantly bad-mouthing us and our, and our friends' churches. But if you're a saved believer and you're watching and you might watch and your church won't let you preach the gospel, go somewhere that does. Yeah? Go somewhere that does. Preach the gospel. That's a pre Otherwise, you're not a disciple. You're not a disciple. Okay, verse 4 there. Verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So this is where Joseph was eventually buried. In verse 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. And it was about the sixth hour. So he's done about 25 miles of a 50 to 60 mile journey at this point, Jesus has. Now, a reasonable pace of approximately four miles an hour, that's about a mile every 15 minutes. That's the kind of reasonable pace for an hour. This would be about right if they set out at 6 a.m. So have a think about that. It's the sixth hour, so it's midday, okay? He's been walking for six hours. And, you know, that, that, that's some walk, is it? And, and no wonder he was wearied. Eh? No wonder he's wearied. He's been walking pretty much flat out for six hours. And that sort of stuff people nowadays will get sponsored 
to do, wouldn't they? <laughs> they would be getting sponsored to walk for six hours, and he's just, this is just a break in the middle of the walk, you know, and they're just having a break, you know, at the well. And these people are getting sponsored to walk six hours with the latest, greatest walking boot or air padded trainer and the rest of it. I don't think they had any of that going on, did they? They just, just walk, just a six hour walk, you know, stop at the well. Amazing, isn't it? But, um, but remember that Jesus was both fully God, wasn't he, and fully human. He understands the things that we go through. But he also probably has a fair, you know, <laughs> or a good right to, to, be, to be just kind of, oh, goodness, the next time that we're, we're moaning about, you know, our latest half-hour walk somewhere or, 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 or whatever else because, wow, we, they don't make them like they used to by the look of this. Because it's not just him, is it? He's with his disciples as well. Oh, well, that's Jesus. Well, there's a load of other. In fact, they've gone off to go and buy the meat now, haven't they? Um, okay, so verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. So in, in verse 11, we see that Jesus doesn't have anything to draw the water with. So that's why he's asking her. Verse 8 says, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Now, by the way, that's food, okay? If anyone's unaware of that, it's not that they've just gone to buy a massive slab of meat. I like to think they did, okay? I like to think that they went and just got a massive roast cow or something. But no, they've just got to get food. Maybe it was a big bit of meat, but meat there is food. Okay, verse 9. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, art? Ask us drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So there was a lot of animosity between the Samaritans and the Jews. And verse 10, Jesus answered said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So how do you get the living water? Well, it says here, you need to know the gift of God, don't you? You need to know the gift of God. If thou knewest the gift of God, he said, and he would have given me living water. People need to know that there's a gift from God, which is eternal life, don't they? Okay, they need to know that it's a gift. He makes it clear it's a gift there as well. I mean, there's so much wrapped into this verse here. You need to know who Jesus is. He says, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink. So you need to know who Jesus is. Okay, it's not good enough just, oh, oh, well, he's just like some sort of son of God, some sort of, you know, one of the forms of God or any of the rest of the many, many damnable heresies out there. You need to know who Jesus is, don't you, to receive the gift. Okay, and that's why it's important to explain to people who Jesus Christ is when we preach the gospel unto them. Um, you need to ask him. He said here, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him and he would have given thee living water. Says here, you, you need to. You, you would have asked him. You need to ask him. Are there any other conditions? No. He would have given thee living water. That's what he's saying here, isn't it? So Jesus said unto her, "Look, what a, I mean, what a verse. If thou knewest the gift of God, so you know, you know what that gift of God is. That it's a gift, obviously, as well. And who it is that said to thee, give me to drink? Who Jesus Christ is? Thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Amazing. Verse eleven. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us a well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? 
Oh, she's got a form of religion here, but no salvation. Verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So another one-time event like we've seen through these first three chapters, haven't we? It's a one-time event. You only have to drink of the water and you will never thirst. Okay, that's a one-time event, isn't it? You don't have to keep drinking of it. You don't have to keep getting saved. Um, that means you don't have to drink it again. Now, how does a water become a well? Well, turn to John chapter 7. Just look forward a couple of chapters. John chapter 7 and from verse 37. John 7, 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So that well of water is the Holy Spirit, which is there for others to drink from, isn't it? So that Holy Spirit is there. We have that Holy Spirit inside us. And that Holy Spirit is what we then use to then get other people saved, isn't it? Again, it's there for other people to drink of. Look at verse 15, uh, back to John, John chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So she wants it, doesn't she? She wants the water, but she doesn't know who Jesus is yet. Okay. Verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou as well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. Now, I don't want to go too far on this. And I, there are people that will say, Oh, look, he, she's, gonna have, she's got to get rid of this sin first. Obviously, the work salvation is. Um, and there are some that will use it, say she's got to at least, you know, repent and get down and say, you know, I know this is wrong. No, but he is still here. I think I still believe he's still convicting her of her sin, though. So it, it, because it's kind of easy, he makes this point and then kind of moves on after it. But he, I think he's showing her a need of a saviour. She, she's either been divorcing them or they've been divorcing her. By the look of it here, it says that she's had five husbands. I mean, that is something else, isn't it? Five husbands. Um, and now, she's a Samaritan, and who knows what sort of customs or laws they were following at this point, because it was a complete mess, wasn't it? But regardless, God's law says that it's adultery, doesn't he? So, so divorce, remarriage is adultery. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31. Matthew 5.31 It has been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. Now, I, I was asked about this not long ago. It's, the cause of fornication isn't adultery. Okay? So... Fornication is outside of marriage, isn't it? And I think we went over this when we did this in, in, in the book of Corinthians as well. But fornication is outside of marriage. Okay, so the cause of fornication would be if you married someone who you believe is a virgin. 
and then before you come together you discover that she isn't okay this isn't something that you just hang on to years later and go oh actually you weren't a virgin see you later okay that's not what it's about okay it's about it's about the cause of fornication that was in a culture when they didn't come together straight after the marriage and and you could put this in i don't know there are some people that maybe get married when maybe while they're in prison they have a day release for it or maybe when they're when they're joining the military or something else and, and they haven't actually come together and what we would call consummated the marriage yet and it's if in between that time or before that you discover actually no this lady has committed fornication and you were led to believe she hasn't that's what it's talking about here um but th there are there are no other grounds okay there is no grounds for divorce so People, and, and look, I think everyone probably gets it here, but people, you know, at times in life, they start trying to find reasons, trying to find excuses. You know, they, they, you know, they're not getting on, they're not following God's rule, which is love your wife, you know, or maybe, maybe a wife's not following that, not submitting to her husband. So they start trying to find reasons and excuses, and it's wicked. Yeah. It's absolutely wicked. There is no reason for it, okay? Okay, divorce is wrong. What, what God has put together, let no man asunder okay and and it's clear as day and when you do that you're causing her to commit adultery and you end up a lot of the time you'll end up being committing adultery yourself okay so verse 19 the woman saith unto him so i perceive that thou art a prophet so she's still not there yet is she but she's acknowledging the word of god okay at this point she's acknowledging the word of god verse 20 our fathers worshipped in this mountain ye say that in jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship now what a complete just just like right angle turn she's just taken here and do you think she's like one of those people where they're like you know, they start getting convicted like, oh well there's just so many religions you know <laughs> it's like that sort of thing is it it's like she's trying to find a way out almost she's she's like one of those awkward salvations where she just suddenly out of nowhere she's going yeah i perceive that our prophet oh our fathers worshipped in this man and you say that in jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship she's like she's trying to almost have a row here isn't she she's trying to find fault trying to find a reason um why Jerusalem anyway? So why Jerusalem? Why is Jerusalem um, the place where, where they say men ought to worship? Well, this is throughout the book of Deuteronomy. It talks about this place. Um, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 12. And verse 10. Deuteronomy 12:10. But when ye go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit, and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about so that ye dwell in safety, then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there. Thither shall you bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifice, your tithes and the heave offering of your hand and all your choice vows which ye vow unto the Lord. Ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God, ye and your sons and your daughters and your men servants and your maid servants and the Levite that is within your gates, for as much as he hath no part nor inheritance with you, take heed to, to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest, but in the place which the Lord shall choose in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. So this is referred to and repeated over and over in Deuteronomy, and it ends up being Jerusalem, okay? This is the place. Um, so back to, so that's just just one of the many many places you go back to verse uh, 21 there of john 4. 
So this is why why they say why it's Jerusalem. That's where the Lord dwells, isn't it? That's where the temple was built. Um, verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So that's after his death, isn't it? Where every believer becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Verse 22, Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. So... The Samaritans worship this bizarre mixture of false gods merged together with the Lord at some point and pulled away again. Um, it, I, I believe, when, when you have a look at this, it, it kind of seems like an early version of Roman Catholicism, really. There's a lot of similarities there. If you turn to 2 Kings 17. 2 Kings and chapter 17. So the... The king of the big power at the time, the Assyrians, has just carried away the children of Israel captive. But the people he put in the cities instead of them are getting killed by lion, lions sent by the Lord. Okay, So the Lord's are sending these lions in, they're just massacring them. So they send one of the captive priests in to teach them how to fear God. Okay, So they send one of these guys in to teach them how to fear God. Now have a look, um, so 2 Kings 17 and verse 29 says, Howbeit every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwell. Um, sorry, verse 13. The men of Babylon made, made Succoth Benoth, and the men of Cuth made Nurgle, and the men of Hamath made Ashimah, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the, and the Sepharvites burnt their children in fire to Adrimelech, and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvim. So they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Unto this day they do after the former manners, they fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So they basically they've merged the worship of the Lord with all sorts of pagan idolatry. Okay, that's what they've done. They've just brought all these weird gods and idols. And, just, and that's basically what Roman Catholicism is. It's a merging emerging of of some biblical truths then just merged together with worship of mary worship of dead saints all this stuff which is completely unbiblical completely heretical and 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 again that's that's just what they've done there haven't they they've just kind of merged it together taken a bit of this put it with a bit of that join it all together but jesus says it straight here doesn't he so jesus just said it straight ye worship ye know not what we know what we worship for salvation is of the the jews so he's basically saying you worship a false religion and it's something that look we, we don't go out to be confrontational but people have to know that don't they when you're on the door they have to know that it, it ain't getting merged together it's not your kind of whatever it is your set of beliefs and then merge it with salvation no you have to understand that what you worship is wrong it's false and yeah, we don't start off the conversation with that, but before they're putting their faith in Jesus Christ, they have to accept, don't they, that he is the only way, and the, any other way is false. And, and Jesus here, he's making it clear, isn't he? Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Now, your, your liberal Christians nowadays just say, oh, how confrontational, you know, how rude, how offensive. 
you know, surely you, you, you don't need to be so blunt, do you? Well, Jesus Christ felt the need to be blunt, didn't he there? Um, verse 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Basically saying here, you've got to repent, haven't you? You've got, to, you've got to change your mind. You've got to change your mind of your false religion. That's what he's saying here. The hour comes now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Okay, he says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's only one way, he's saying, you must be born again. Okay, you must be born again. There's only one way in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh which is called Christ, when he has come, he will tell us all things. So she's kind of saying here that she believes. She's getting there, isn't she now? She's getting there. Verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now, I don't know, from this conversation, I can see that Jesus has convicted her of her sin, or at least of some, some pretty heinous sin there, hasn't he? He's told that everlasting life is a gift from God, that you only have to ask for it and you'll receive it, that there's only one way to God, that a religion is wrong and that he is a Christ. Okay, that's a pretty good gospel presentation there, isn't it? And it's in a different roundabout way, but that's what he's done. He showed her it, he's explained it all to her. Verse 27 and upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, what seekest thou or why talkest thou with her? And probably because she's a S Samaritan. But notice the time he spent here, one-on-one -on -one soul winning. Okay, so he's just done a six-hour journey. It would be easy to go, look, I'm exhausted. I can't be talking to anyone. I just want to sit. I'll get that drink of water, you know, and just relax. But Jesus Christ, he cares about every single person, doesn't he? Amen. Every single soul is precious. And there he spent that time. He sat there and he's preached the gospel to her. Um, verse 28, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So basically, forget the water pot. Let's go soul winning. Okay, she's just dropped what she had and she's just straight out there. Let's preach the gospel. Let's go and tell, tell others what's just happened. Um, Verse 29, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. The word of God convicts us, doesn't it? It convicts us, you know, and he, he's just told her ever, all things ever I did. Really, I think he's just convicted her of, of being a sinner. That's why I see that. And is not this the Christ? She didn't say, is this the Christ? Is not this the Christ? That's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Okay, she knows that it is the Christ. Um, but the word of God does convict us, doesn't it? She's just had the words, words of Jesus Christ. You don't have to turn to Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, so he's just cut through with the word of God there. She's got saved, isn't she? Because... Verse 31 says, In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. So that was Jesus' motivation, wasn't it? Jesus' motivation. And we should, we should be making that ours, shouldn't we? It's more important than the next meal is going out, getting people saved. And it's not just the going out, it's, it's the things of God, isn't it? Doing the things of God, doing what God wants us here doing. And of course, soul winning is a big part of that. But, but reading the word of God, praying to God, going to church, you know, doing all these things. And obviously, yeah, we, we, we as men have to work. We as ladies, we have to support our husbands. It, 
there, there are many things we all have to do, aren't there, in life. Uh, but, and it's all the work of God, but we should all be, be doing that and not just focusing on the next meal. Because it's easy, isn't it, to just think about food and think about the, the carnal things in life. But he's saying, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So he's showing what his priorities are here. Verse 35, say not ye there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Um, that makes you think of Matthew chapter 9. If you turn to Matthew 9 quickly. Matthew 9, 37. Then saith he unto his disciples, Matthew 9, 37, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labourers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labourers into his harvest. We need more labourers, don't we? We need more labourers, because the... the the harvest truly is plenteous. Jesus said in, in verse 35 of John 4 there, he said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And, okay, we, maybe it wasn't so busy today, but I'll tell you what, we go to some places, don't we, sometimes, and, and they are receptive. You know, around here, there, there are still, in this country, there are some mega receptive places, aren't there? let alone some places around the world as well, which are just unbelievable. Uh, and, and yeah, the, the harvest, it truly, it, it truly is plenteous. And he's, he's saying here in, in Matthew 9 there, he's saying, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, it will send forth labourers into his harvest. We should be praying for that, shouldn't we? We should be praying for more soul winners to come to this church, to develop more soul winners at this church, praying for people to become soul winners, praying for people that are soul winners to want to get out and go and preach the gospel and get people saved. Um, and Jesus said there, he said, he said, they are white already to harvest. Now, this is on the back of some real lifestyle evangelism, evangelism isn't it? I mean, that's real lifestyle evangelism. That isn't just kind of talking about God every now and again and mentioning that you go to church, you know, to someone at work. There, that's just like, ask someone for a drink straight into the gospel, you know, and, and that's how we should, we should model ourselves on that, shouldn't we? You know, that's the work of God. That's what God wants us doing. The, 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 the harvest is plenteous, isn't it? But the labourers are few. But if the harvest is plenteous, we should be taking those opportunities all the time, shouldn't we? Every opportunity we have to give the gospel. Um, he asked her for a drink, drink, didn't he? And just literally went straight into the gospel. We saw that. Now, verse 36 of John, John 4 there. And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labour. Other men laboured and ye are entered into their labours. So not only are we pulling people out of the fire, but when we're preaching the gospel, we're earning eternal rewards in heaven. And we talked about this. It covered that in, in, in the book of First Corinthians as well. But... Have a quick, quick reminder of that. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 7. It says, So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labour. So those rewards, those heavenly rewards are meant to motivate us, yeah? Okay, they, they should, mo now, sure, we should be motivated by the love for people, shouldn't we? We should be motivated by wanting to pull people out of the fire. 
But let's be honest, knowing that we're earning a load of heavenly rewards as well should, should also motivate us, okay? Let's, let's be honest about it, and it does. No, it's, it motivates me as well. And, but here he's saying here, he's saying, every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labour. It didn't say according to his own salvations, did it? To his own labour. Because it's according to our labour, isn't it? Not just our results. Because it's easy to get competitive with soul winning. It's easy to just be wanting to just... So you get someone saved, you're literally almost running off afterwards. It's like that guy's kind of standing there waiting. And it's like, look, you, you could have a chance to try and at least start the process of discipling and other things. It's easy to just want to get the, the groups or whatever else. And, and, but it's, not, it's about the labour, isn't it? And especially it's going to be more and more of that when we have those, when we, like I keep saying, we are going to be doing this. We are hopefully moving soon and we're going to be knocking every door. And when we're doing that, that's going to be every door in our area. We want to affect our local area, knock every door of where the church is around. And that, and that will mean actually spending that time, won't it? And it doesn't matter if you come back and you haven't got anyone saved for a few weeks, someone else have. First, we're a team. And secondly, you're getting rewarded for your labour. Now, that doesn't mean go off and spend your whole time knocking doors in, in whatever it is, Hampstead Heath or, or, you know, Golders Green or something because of the special people and never getting someone saved or going off as a missionary to the nicest place you can find to plant churches and never actually preach the gospel to anyone and just lie around in a hammock all day. Yeah, sure, we should be putting the labour in and we should be wise about where we go and when we purposely go to receptive areas we should be looking for receptive areas for sure we want to get people saved but it's a labor isn't it it's a labor that we're rewarded for now sometimes you knock on a door don't you and they they've heard the gospel and it's not so common here but you do get it here don't you at least they know something don't but they're maybe a bit hung up on something you know and that, and that there is what he's talking about about you know he that planteth he that watereth um, sometimes you have someone that's some, you know you don't know that someone might knock on a door here maybe in have many years time maybe 20 years, maybe longer, maybe things start to take off in this country with time and it might be someone that you preach the gospel to and it's something I've found it hard sometimes, you just feel like that person's rejected, they're done. But maybe in years to come, you know, someone's going to knock on that door and that seed was sown and they're ready to get saved now, you know. And, and it feels weird when we're pretty much the only ones, we are the only ones knocking on the door with the right gospel, aren't we? But with time, we're not going to be. So even we need to remind ourselves that when you knock on that door, when you give someone part of it, you give them some verses today. You know, I only got out about three verses today, but still they're three verses. And who knows if years down the line, one, two, three of those people that heard those verses might get saved, you know. Um, and then you get ones, don't you? You get ones which, which, which do know they're going to hell, don't you? You got those ones that, and again, and that's been, something's been planted there. Now, whether or not it's been planted, I don't know where and how that's been planted, but there are people that you knock on the door and they go, no, I know I'm going to hell. I know I'm going to hell. And those people can be, usually, it's pretty disappointing when they still don't want to get saved, but some of those people can be pretty right, can't they? They just know, it's like, sir, what must I do to be saved? I know I'm going to hell. And that person, again, something, someone's preached something, they've heard something from somewhere, haven't they, to get to that point where they're convicted that they're going to hell. Um, verse 39 and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that ever I did note many of the Samaritans many many and, and like I said I'm going to keep pointing this out in this in this in the gospel of John so many times he talks about many many believed many of the Samaritans yet there was 126 in the upper room 
okay and again it's just just to try and hammer home because we're getting hit with this all the time people saying if they're not coming to church they're somehow not saved if they're not disciples they're somehow not saved it's nonsense many of the Samaritans many of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all that ever I did unless they're trying to suggest that it's not believing in Jesus Christ which gets you saved um so basically, the woman has gone out straight away soul winning because they said for the saying of the woman. Now, she's relaying what Jesus has said, okay? So she's relaying the word of God here. But she, she's testified. He told me all that ever I did. She's testified basically that Jesus told her about her sin. She's testified about herself being a sinner, I think, there. Um, verse 40, so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. So... They wanted the word of God, didn't they? They've just got saved and they, they besought him. They want the word of God. They want to be there around and hearing and listening to the word of God straight after salvation. And that, that often, isn't it, is when people are most receptive, eh? Straight after salvation. And how many times do you get shocked? You do. How many times it is when you've given the gospel to someone, you've got them saved, they are zealous. They are like, amen, I want to come to your church. And you're kind of like come on <laughs> you know, and, it's, uh, and then you look about and it's still the same and they don't and they don't make it now that person got saved yeah but it's it, something happens doesn't it sadly and and that thorny ground can really affect them um or who knows who comes in the, the you know the fowls come after as well don't they the fowls come after and they're trying to put them off the cults you know you name it but but the, my point with this is that after salvation, that is that time, isn't it? And that's a time, I think, that again, especially when we're local soul winning, is when we want to be trying to pull them into church that afternoon. Um, I was listening to, I think, I can't remember, it might have been Pastor Thompson over at Verity who was saying that basically how, how like their Sunday evening service is their busiest service because people that have just been saved, you know, and they're out local soul winning and then they're getting them along to church. And that's something we need to, I think, you know, Sunday evening again, especially when we're when we're local. Once we've moved and we're just locking locally, just encourage, do what you can. Say, look, just come along to church. You just got saved because that's when they're most receptive, aren't they? And that's when you want to try and get more of the Word of God into them because afterwards, after that, you know, something happens, doesn't it? Something can happen in a day. Something can happen in a week, and and suddenly they're they're a lot less receptive. It's not they're not just saying, you know, don't. Yeah, there are people that just want to please you. There are people that just want you to go away or just want to keep you happy. But there. Are, you know, you know when in their eyes, they're like, they want it, they're fired up, they want to come to church, and then they just don't make it there, do they? They just don't make it there. Um, okay, verse 41, and many more believed because of his own word. So many, many again there, many more believed. Um, Jesus is preaching to them, isn't he here? Okay, so Jesus is preaching the gospel to them, many more believed because of his own word. And verse 42, and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the saviour of the world. So I'm sure that the woman was relaying the words of Christ to have got anyone saved, okay? She had to have been, didn't she? It wasn't she just came and gave just a bit of a story about what happened, all these people got saved. She was relaying the words of God. She was relaying what Jesus said to her. But some people just don't want to hear it from someone they know, do they? Some people just don't want to. And we've probably all experienced that with family and friends. They just don't want to hear it. But I was also thinking about maybe the power of having the Bible there. I mean, that's the word of God there, isn't it? And the power, and, and sometimes you can be relaying the gospel to someone. You can be relaying it, you know, word for word. But there's a difference when you're showing them the word of God, isn't there? There is a difference when you hold your Bible and you're showing them this is what the Bible says, 
rather than you could say exactly the same words, but there's just that distrust, isn't there? Sometimes they're just, oh, I'm not quite so sure. Is that really what? Uh, is that really what the Bible says? Show them from the Word of God. And there, it's not because of what the woman said. I'm sure she was relaying the words of God to have got anyone saved, but it's because they then were there in front of Jesus, hearing it from the horse's mouth. And in the same way, show them the Word of God. Um, because there is a difference, isn't there? Verse 43 says, Now after two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honour in his own country. So why did he go to Galilee then? I think he's having another crack at it here. He's saying, right, because, because of that, he's going back there again. I, think, I don't think it's just like, right, it's written off. He's saying, because he, he's just been there, isn't he? And after he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet had no honour in his own country. Um, Verse 45, then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. Um, we're not going to go there for sake of time, but, but it's mentioned in John 2.23 and John 3.2. Verse 46, so Jesus came again into Cana Galilee, where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now this is some sort of wealthy ruler here, okay? Uh, someone maybe in Herod's court or something. He's, he's a wealthy guy. He's a nobleman. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he is at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down here, my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. Okay, he didn't need signs and wonders because he believed the word, didn't he? He believed the word out of, out of Jesus' mouth. Verse 51, And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend, and they said unto him, Yes, at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. Now, just a couple of points on that. On that, that and that's a great story there, because it's, it's some, some interesting stuff in there. Cana to Capernaum is, is, is about 15 miles away. Okay, so it says here... Um, uh, it said yesterday at the seventh hour. So this is basically at 1 p.m. The fever left him. Now, like I said, like you, you do, I mean, especially if it's your son that's ill, I, I think you, you could probably do that trip in a few hours, couldn't you? Okay, now, he was told yesterday at 1 p.m. He could have gone straight home, couldn't he? And it said here in verse 51, and as he was now going down. So the faith of this guy that he's told at 1 p.m. that... that by Jesus Christ and he's just accepted that straight away he doesn't even carry he doesn't just go right I better get home he's just like yeah my son's fine no, my son's fine because it's now one o'clock the next day that he's now on his way back there I mean amazing really I mean that, that's some that's some faith there isn't it um <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me it says here um so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him thy son liveth and himself believed and his whole house so why his whole house why his whole house and of course this makes you think doesn't it of Acts 16 30 as well yeah. what must I do to be saved believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house so why the whole house because it's not automatic is it so it's not that oh well they're just saved because you're saved like I've heard some of this sort of thing and you know people have you know misconstrued verses to say that the wife saved by the by the husband and vice versa but it's not, is it? It's because, because this is a proper leader of a house, isn't it? 
because he's a leader of the house. And as a leader of the house, if you've got yourself saved, what sort of a leader are you if you don't get your house saved? Okay, how, how hard is it, really, to get, to get your household saved? Firstly, they know you're sincere, don't they? They know you. You're the leader of the house. You come home saying, oh, you know, this is, what, this is what's just happened, or this is what I've heard. You show them, you relay it to them. Firstly, they've got no reason to doubt that you're being honest. You're talking to your family here. You're talking to your house. But as a leader anyway, as a leader, you've, you've got a responsibility there, haven't you? How can you be a man? How can you call yourself a man, be a leader of a home, get saved, and then not get your family saved? But they do, don't they? Yeah. How many times you knock on a door, you get someone saved, you go, oh, would you like to be? Oh, well, yeah, no, they won't be interested. What? What is wrong with you? And they're saved as well. You, you, know, you, you know, you get ones where you're you know, very confident as well. Yeah, you get some where you're like, and they might have just been saying, there's not much more I can do. I've tried, to, tried my best. But some you know for sure, but they just say not interested. But what sort of leader is that? And I was thinking this about just, just in general, the lack of leadership in homes, in relationships, amongst men and women. I was driving, um, I was just driving, driving yesterday up the road and I drove past this house and, um, and it was on the way to, to the local town and there was this lady up a ladder with what was, you know, a petrol hedge trimmer as well, she's quite a young lady and, and I'm thinking, oh, fair, fair enough to her, she's cutting this hedge and then I see the guy and the guy is kind of like carrying a ladder. I thought, oh, maybe he's just setting it up and she's just doing it, you know, okay. Anyway, so I've driven to the town and I've come back and he's got his foot on the ladder. This is an able-bodied guy. I'm sorry, I'm holding the ladder yet. He's got his foot on the ladder or she's up this dodgy stepladder. Cutting. I'm just thinking, you absolute disgrace. This is on the main road as well, yeah? It's like, get on that ladder and cut that hedge, yeah? You've got your foot on the step for your wife, girlfriend, whatever to do it. And it's just, but that's the state of it today, isn't it? Yeah. That's the state of it today. And you can imagine that guy got saved. There's no way his house is getting saved. He can't even climb a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unbelievable, isn't it? But, but that's the truth, isn't it? It's because as a real leader, as a leader of a house, I'm sure this nobleman was a leader of the house, you know, he's, he's himself believed and his whole house. You know, and, and we have a responsibility here, men, don't we? All men here, we have a responsibility for our households. Um, but this as well, this story is a good example of, of a time when a rich and powerful man is open to the gospel. Because I think this guy is pretty rich and powerful, and yeah, we, you know, as, as we know, it's not easy, is it? You know, but with God, all things are possible. But, but here, I, I would say that's his son, isn't it? It's, it's that, that feeling of vulnerability where his child is ill and sick. And the thing is, we can often, can't we, just be put off by maybe the nice cars and the nicer houses sometimes. Sometimes this country, it's funny, isn't it? Because you can knock on a door and it's kind of a house that's split into three or four flats. And then you knock on the next door and it's a big house, you know, that's not been split any, into any flats. And automatically you're thinking, yeah, and sometimes you can be a bit downhearted, can't you, straight away. But the truth is, you don't know what they're going through. And, and this event here, obviously, this guy was open to the gospel, wasn't he? He was open to believing, and it was that, you know, his son, and there was nothing he could do for him. His son was about to die, wasn't he? And we don't know, and sometimes these things can be a time when people are a little bit more humble, aren't they? Um, verse 54, this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So the first being the water into wine, and as we'll see in the rest of this uh, book, many, many more to come. And um, yeah, what, what a great chapter, some interesting stuff there. On that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you um, 
Thank you for the examples you give us, your love for, for just that, that one lady at the well there to, to just spend that time and to get her saved. And um, thank you that you also give us the example throughout this gospel of how many people, how many people you got saved, how many believed on you. And, and please help us to be strong to those attacks from the, from the jealous, also from the work salvationists from our weird stalkers and all these people that are just constantly trying to criticize and find fault in in us just going out and preaching the gospel and help us to just remember where it comes from what 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 spirit it comes from it's from bitterness it's from envy and help us to to just to just remember that what we're doing for you and we're going to suffer persecution we're going to suffer suffer people that are trying trying to discredit you and discredit us but help us just stay strong on the word of god stay rooted and grounded in our faith uh, help us to have a good week now please father help us to get lots of people saved on our soul winning times and and just just to keep you at the center of our week and in jesus name we pray amen <laughs>